there's so many verses I'd like to read, but I will read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21. And this is taken from the New King James Version. It says, what do you want? Shall I come to you, Paul speaking to this church, with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So Paul asks, where do you want me to come? How do you want me to come? You want me to come with a whip and spank you, discipline you? Or do you want me to come in love and in gentleness? Notice the introduction, if you will. It says, no epistle in the New Testament. And this is taken from the Spirit-filled Bible, Jack Hayford. No new epistle in the New Testament gives a clear insight into the life of the first century church in 1 Corinthians. In it, Paul provides straightforward instructions for such moral and theological problems as sectarianism, spiritual immaturity, church discipline, ethical differences, and the role of the sexes and the proper use of spiritual gifts. Sounds like churches today, don't it? Where these same problems exist in the modern church, the remedies certainly are the same. So whether you know the Bible or not, whether you know uh, hardly anything about the Bible, as you read the Bible, and as you read, as we are now, the New Testament, you find out that, that the words, that the messages, that the letters, that the writings inspired by men, that of the Holy Spirit, this is actually God speaking to us today. It's just like Brother Daniel's got him a new telephone. Joy, I don't know if you persuaded him to do that or not. Uh, I have the flip phone, and he had the flip phone, but he got saved and got the new iPhone. (laughs) Now, I can receive texts on my flip phone, but whatever phone you have in modern-day English, when you see the Scripture on the screen, you'll know this is God whether it's whatever uh, translation, this is God speaking to you and I today. So I want to hear what God has to say. I want to hear what thus saith the Lord. You didn't come to hear me preach necessarily. You didn't come just to hear us sing or to see the building. You just didn't come to fellowship and all of these things are good. You came to hear, I trust, from God. And that's why I struggled with this morning. Brother uh, Michael was in Carol's office and I had the door shut and I just felt such an overwhelming of of desire for God to move today. I just cried out to God. He came running in white. He thought something was wrong. But it's time for us to cry out to God. Amen. It's time for us to hear from God. It's time for us to pray that we would hear from God. What is God saying today? I want you to look first of all at the church at Corinth. Now Paul established this church when he spent 18 months there. And uh, he left after spending 18 months. And 
And he was gone and he was in Ephesus when he got word of some things that were happening in the church. And so he writes this letter. Now, there was another letter written which we do not know of or which we have never read. We know of it, but we, he said he wrote another letter that was lost. But this we have, thank God, this first Corinthians. The church was a picture of converts who had come out of a bad environment. A bad environment. Notice, Paul sent this letter after he had received disturbing reports of moral laxity among believers, permitting, listen to what they were doing, they were permitting immorality in the church and also there were problems with divisiveness and morals were in disrepair. Worship had degenerated into a selfish grabbing for the supernatural. There was the problem of incest, yes. Lawsuits, yes. And fornication. And some of this was happening right in the church. I'm talking about not necessarily in the building itself, the company itself, but it was happening. And the church was allowing it to happen. There were terrible things that was going on. And one of the main reasons was because of the immorality that certainly was in the uh, city. There was Uh, about 600,000 citizens that were in the city of Corinth. And here we find some things going on that certainly was not pleasing to God. There was a temple there. In fact, there were several temples there. And one of the temples uh, was a central part of worship, Aphrodite. Aphrodite was a goddess and... uh, it was a statue of a woman, and it was all kind of sexual immorality. In fact, uh, this particular temple boasted of 1,000 prostitutes being there. Corinth was noted for commerce, culture, and corruption. The people of Corinth had a reputation in the ancient world as unruly, hard-drinking, sexual prom promiscuous, and it was an awful, awful environment to live in. Sort of sounds like America today, doesn't it? And some of these things had, had found its way into the church. Now, I, I studied this, and I wanted to look a little bit deeper into the church, and I want you to notice the things that I have listed here in, in Roman numeral chapter Roman numeral uh, two, looking deeper at the church at Corinth, they were brand new believers, not transfer members. A lot of the churches you'll see growing today are transfer members, not necessarily people that came and born again and got saved and then they started attending the church. But all of these were, were believers, no preconceived ideas, no one saying to the Paul, uh, well, we did it another way at such and such a church. Not only were they brand new believers, they participated. Now, we can look at all the problems that they had. We can look at all the things that the Apostle Paul addresses. But I want us to look at, look, 
at a broader view of it. They participated, maybe a little too uh, exuberantly, but they all wanted to contribute to worship. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, you'll find that they all wanted to prophesy. They all wanted to speak in tongues. Everybody wanted to give a message. And so Paul wrote them, given an order of public manifestation of the Spirit of God. It was important. Not only did they want to participate, they made mistakes, but out of enthusiasm. Yeah, they were doing some wrong things. But they were so excited about serving God, and they were making mistakes, and so Paul had to temper their enthusiasm with instruction. It's better to learn to control a fire than try to start a fire. I mean, we would say that there needs to be a fire started in some churches, maybe here at 3518 Rose of Sharon Road. We need a fire. You say, what kind of fire, Brother Don? A fire of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The fire of the moving of the Spirit of God. And that was what was happening in this church. They were so excited about coming out of this environment as far as being able to worship the Lord. And they were excited about it. They practiced their new faith while still growing in it. And though making many mistakes, Paul never says one time that they aren't Christians. Now you got to stay with me. You said, Pastor, that he condone sin, that he condone sexual immorality, that he condone all the stuff that you have, you have spoken about. Let me read this again. They made mistakes. They practiced their new faith while still growing in it. Though making many mistakes, Paul never says one time they were not Christians. But notice what I say here. Rather, he urges them to grow in their faith by changing their bad habits. It's one thing to be away a certain way. It's one thing to stay there, practice that sin. Amen? Premeditatedly, let it be a lifestyle. And so Paul was dealing with that lifestyle. He was saying, hey, time out. You guys have got to change. Their new faith was relevant to, the, to their world. The temple of Aphrodite, goddess of love, was in Corinth. And so this great temple, I just told you about all how that they said she was a god of love and all kind of terrible things went on in that city and especially in this temple. And it was a goddess of love. So Paul writes about love, greatest chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13. And so they were taking what was relevant in the world and changing that immorality of love to a godly love. Amen? A great love. The right kind of love. Would to God we could go to Hollywood and change that love. Love to them is crawling in bed, crawling in and out of bed with someone. And you can go on down the road with all the stuff that goes on. But, but our nation, our society, our culture needs to hear about the agape love. God's love. And that's what they were doing. They were saying, hey, let's not live this way. 
So they were taking their faith and making it relevant to the society and the culture they were living in. Number six, they were a real church. Paul, despite all their problems, never says they aren't a real church. Instead, he patiently guides them into practices that are more thankful expressions of their new life in Jesus Christ. Paul responded, and we've been dealing with that. Paul does not disown them. He does not throw them out. He does not fly rather in a tirade. But he gave them a stern rebuke. We don't like that today. We want to continue on in our sin. We might be wrong, but we don't want anybody to tell us we're wrong. We might be sinful, but we don't want anybody to tell us that we're sinful. That we don't want the preacher to preach Against sin, we want someone to come along and tickle our ears. We need to understand that. Paul set out not only to restore the church in its areas of weakness, but led the flock into new territories of purity and unity. Very, very important. The church cannot change the world if the church is like the world. One reason the church today has so little, I love this statement. One reason the church today has so little influence in the world is because the world has too much influence in the church. There was problems. But Paul dealt with it in this first letter, and he also wrote a second letter to this church at Corinth. It's important. It's important. I've attended four churches in my lifetime. I'm talking about regularly attending church. Attending church. When I was four and five, my brother and sister, we attended the local community missionary Baptist church. And I remember it had five and six years old. I remember. I remember Bible school. This reason it's so important that we are going to start the last Sunday in May. And, well, it's already started. They're back there doing a wonderful job now. But And go through the whole month of June. Sister Carol and I are going to take a sabbatical from, from here and be in the children's church. But I remember, I remember the local missionary Baptist church. That church burned down, mind you. It was a wooden church. My granddaddy, my granddaddy Ganey, he, he helped build two churches. The first church was a, uh, now you got to understand this wasn't yesterday. This is years ago. Back uh, about 45, I think it was, 1945. And, uh, the church burned down. It was a wood church. It burned down. And so granddad had a uh, large uh, pack house is what we called it then, a large barn. It was not a, and it was just, it housed a lot, it could house a lot of people. So they cleaned out the pack house and uh, that's where the church met. The people, once that, uh, we were about two miles, a mile and a half from the church that burned down where his place was. And so the folks just simply moved over. To and, and held church in this building until they could build. And the next church they built was a certainly a brick church. And so we remember that 
that church. And uh, mom would take us to church. But then there was a tent revival. That's the first church that, that we attended was the uh, Mount Vernon Missionary Baptist Church. And then there was a tent put up. There was a, the highway between Clinton. I was raised in uh, halfway between Clinton and Faison on Highway 403. It was called the Faison Highway. And we were raised on a farm, and we lived on that farm. Our, our surroundings was isolated. I remember one time we did go to the mountains of North Carolina. That's about as far as we ever went. But then Reuben Jones put a tent up on 403, and uh, Mom was not saved. In fact, our mother cursed like a sailor. Now, you that knew her, can't believe that, but she did. And mother went to that tent and she went down to the sawdust and got saved. Now when I say she got saved, she got saved. And the preacher that preached that tent revival, he uh, passed the church there in Clinton. It was called Butler Hill. Butler Hill Church. It's on the southern part uh, close to the Clinton Cemetery is on the southern part of Clinton. And so that's where we started attending. We hadn't gone there long. I was nine years old when they had revival with the two ladies preaching. I know women aren't supposed to preach. Well, you'd come too late to tell me because that's where I got saved. Now, I don't remember anything they said. I knew they said some good things. But I remember I got under conviction. I mean, real, genuine, authentic, moving, emotional conviction. It wasn't, it wasn't in my mind. It wasn't just in my emotion. The Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. And when that altar was open, I went to the altar, knelt on my knees, and wonderfully... Like it was yesterday, I received Christ as my personal Savior. Did you pray the sinner's prayer? I don't know. I don't know. I doubt it. I don't think you've got to pray the sinner's prayer. Sometimes I, I think we get tied up or hooked on the, 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 the whereabouts of things and the mechanics of things. And you know, it's not what prayer you pray or don't pray. It's the fact that you realize you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's the fact that you come to him, whether at Butler Hill, whether at an altar, whether in the church or the backseat of an automobile, or whether at home, or wherever it might be, that you recognize you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and you surrender to him. It's not the formula. Don't get hooked up and tied up or... So moved about the formula. Just, just get saved. And a person that's under conviction, you, you don't have to tell them a whole lot. They just, oh God. You know, one of the things that really blesses me is when I read about the Pharisee and I read about the publican. Both of them, both of them was in church. The publican was a tax collector and just an old, old sinner is all he was. And, and then the Pharisee was a religious leader, didn't know God from nothing. He, 
you know, he knew the law, but he didn't know God. And both of them were in church, and, and the publican was over the corner, which meant that he wasn't trying to be seen. He simply was under conviction. He simply knew he needed God. And the Bible says he smote his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a good sinner's prayer. God, be merciful. I mean, he, he, and, 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 and the, uh, the Pharisee looked over to him and said, you know, God, and he's praying to God too. I don't think it got no further than the ceiling. He's praying to God too. And he said, oh God, I'm glad I'm not like this publican. I pay my tithe. I give this. I, I do all of this. And the Bible says it was the, it was the publican, not Republican. It was the publican that went down justified. The tax collector, the sinner. So I got saved and we, we attended that church for years. I'll never forget Brother and Sister Rowe. They were our Sunday school teachers. Nine years old, 10 years old, 11 years old. Brother Rowe was a big fella. He and his wife both, they taught the Sunday school class. He at one time worked in a circus. And when he got saved, he really got saved. He quit the circus and started serving God and started teaching Sunday school and raising and teaching kids. And that's a long time ago. But I haven't forgotten Brother and Sister Rowe and the things that they taught me. Butler Hill was a free will holiness church. Free will holiness uh, we never heard of holiness. We never heard of speaking in tongues. We never heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We never saw people shout. If you went to the Missionary Baptist Church, you didn't shout or they would lead you out. I'm talking about emotionally praising God audibly and shouting out. But we didn't know anything about that, but they, we began to be taught. Learn some wonderful things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And yet we learned some things that I'm not too sure it's scriptural. We learned that women were not supposed to cut their hair. We learned that women were not supposed to wear makeup. And, 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 and one thing we learned how to do is look real sad in service at times. I see some of you have attended that church too, you know. <laughs> we learned that you could not smoke. If you smoked one cigarette, you were going to go to hell. No, that's what we believed. And you certainly couldn't work, uh, drink. Back then we had bootleggers. You don't know much about bootleggers. I do. My dad was an alcoholic. We carried him there many times. You certainly didn't use profanity. If you were saved, you did not cuss. That's what we call it in Sampson County. Cuss. We couldn't go to a ball game. I'm talking about a high school ball game. I mean, there was there were we were restricted and confined. 
I'm telling you some negative things about Butler Hill, but there were more positive things than there were negative things. There's some great things that went on there. And I learned a lot, a whole lot. We had revival, and the man that came down was our former pastor of this church, my wife's dad, Zeb Holder. I never heard of Zeb Holder, but Reuben Jones had Zeb Holder to come in, held a three-week revival. I know, you get tired just thinking about a three-week revival today. But it was the power of God was in that place. I graduated from high school at Hopton High School in Newton Grove, North Carolina. When I graduated from high school, I moved to, to Durham. And uh, I got a job at what is called what was then called, and they no longer exist, was Colonial Store. It was a grocery store. Made pretty good money. Back then, you know, I didn't have much money, but it... And, I raised, partly raised my family on that. But I started working there, and we started attending the church here. It was known then as Bethel Chapel Church. Bethel Chapel Church. The church was in several locations. And uh, so we went, we went from the Missionary Baptist Church to the Butler Hill Penny Free Will Holiness Church. And then we started to come into this church. No, I, I left that part of my life. Oh my goodness, just flashed before me. <laughs> Can't do that. We, we left Butler Hill Church and Carol's dad built a church at Midway. Midway was halfway, I like this, between Dunn and Clinton. That's why they called it Midway. And he built a framed church there. It was called Williams Chapel Church. Williams Chapel Church. He would, he would pastor in Durham and pastor there at the same time. He would, he would preach on Sunday morning uh, at Williams Chapel Church and Sunday night here at Bethel in Durham. He would uh, preach on Wednesday night. Listen to me. Listen at me. He would preach on Wednesday night. Uh, there or, or, or there in, in Williams Chapel Church in Midway and preach on Thursday night here in Durham. And we were at both churches. I mean, we were at church, church all the time. We were like $1 bills, you know. They were asked where you at, church, 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 church. Uh, we were in church all the time. We learned a lot of things. We saw a lot of powerful miracles take place. But we, but I was in church there at at at, at Midway's when he uh, was not there, and the leadership, good people, good people, saved people. But there's things that went on in that church that really was not biblical. People were enthused about serving God and. They needed some discipline. I'll just say it that way. Good people, but needed, they needed direction. Uh, when I came here, I worked with a man by the name of Bobby McCorkle. Bobby McCorkle. Bobby went to the Baptist church, and I went to the Pentecostal church. 
we'd put up displays at Colonial Store, and I'd fuss at him, and he'd fuss back at me. And we, I mean, we were working for years, and I told him I did not sin. He told me he, he did sin, and I say, you can't go to heaven if you sin. See, I believe that you did not sin as a Christian. Period. And uh, he says he sinned. I, I look at the church at Corinth and then I look at churches today. And I look what Paul said to the church at Corinth and how he dealt with that church. I learned a lot of things over the years. One thing I learned that's very important it was important to me is that I'm not perfect and I do sin. I learned that people that we judged, whether it was at Butler Hill, whether it was at Midway, people that I judged that I, I, I missed the mark. I judged people unfairly. One of the persons that taught me a lot about that was Maureen Jones. Maureen Jones started coming to our church when we were on Austin Avenue Extension out beyond Central. And I was pastoring very young, 26, 27 years old. And every once in a while, Maureen Jones would come to me and she said, Pastor, I had a problem this week. I used profanity. Well, you're not saved. Again, that, that raising, that teaching that was instilled in me. You could not use profanity. You could not drink. Listen, do I believe in using profanity? Absolutely not. Do I believe in drinking? No. Do I believe in smoking cigarettes and pot? No. But that woman was just as saved as I was. She don't curse anymore. I don't guess she does. She quit cursing a long time ago. Because God told me, he showed me, just because at times she slips up and says words, that doesn't mean that that woman is not a believer. And Paul comes into this church or writes this, this church and he, he has all of these things that's, that's going on. And he is patient with them. He doesn't come down on them. Now, does he allow incest to go on in the church? Absolutely not. He said, get rid of it. And he says, the brother or the sister. Listen to this. I wrote to you in my epistle. This is, this is found in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. Not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would, not, would need to go out of the world. In other words, he's not talking about people in the world. Because if you don't keep company with them, you're, you're a hermit. You, you're by yourself. And this is what he's saying. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named the brother, someone that's a brother, or sister, or that claims to serve God, and is in the church, and is in the choir. And it's behind the pulpit. And it's an active member in the church. That's who I'm telling you not to keep company with. 
Why? Because if you, if, you, if you continue on, they're going to say, hey, everything's all right, and continue to sin and never get right with God. Who is sexually immoral, immoral or covetous or idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or extortioner, not to even eat with such a person. Now, if you read that, the Amplified, he didn't, he's not saying necessarily... You know, don't love them, don't reach out of helping hand to them, don't extend to them consideration and kindness. He's saying don't continue to fellowship and be buddy buddies with someone that is living ungodly. So Paul didn't compromise. And yet he was patient with the people that were struggling. People, when I was at Butler Hill and at Midway, and and even here at times, people that I would have said, they aren't saved. Well, let me tell you something. God did not put you or me here to say that person is not saved. Stop, Stop saying that. If someone's doing something you don't agree with, love them, pray for them. And if, if, if they, listen to this, listen to this, if they habitually, continually walk in disobedience, don't get things right with God, don't get things right with the church after the church has dealt with this particular issue, If they don't, then you disassociate with them. But you try the other way first. You love them. The Bible says, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, restore such a one in love unless you are tempted. Now there's a difference in a fault overtaking you and you overtaking the fault. Knowingly, premeditatingly. Did you, did you follow that one? We fall. We make mistakes. We say things that we shouldn't say. And you know what was in my heart? When I was going to Butler Hill, when I was going to Midway Williams Chapel Church, when I first started, you know what was in my heart? And it was sitting there like like a giant on the throne of my life was pride. I looked at Bobby McCorkle and I was so much better than he was. There was so much pride in my life because I said, I don't sin. And he said, he sins. I knew God loved me better than he did Bobby McCorkle. That's wrong. And so Paul was dealing with all of these things that were going on. He didn't justify sin. He didn't condone continually disobeying God. But he he certainly came out against self-righteousness and pride. I got a hush. I've already... Chopped you off, cut you off more than you can chew just about. But I hope you get the picture. 
I want you to understand the personal application. Look at it. The Corinthian Christians encourages us to learn patience as we see the Corinthians scolded for their sins while at the same time still being encouraged in their faith. Is my goal to get that person because he or she is not where I am with the Lord? Or is my goal to lift out a, a, lift a helping hand and to lift them up and encourage them? Number two, the solution to the problems of the church and our own problems today is to come under the sway of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's a good amen. That's a good place to say amen. And number three, in today's church, we need to recapture some of the enthusiasm, amen, some of the exuberance, amen, I love this word, some of the freshness, And even the mistakes of the church at Corinth, they were alive and living out their new faith. Yes, they needed instructions. Yes, they needed a helping hand. Yes, they needed to be taught. taught. Yes, they needed instructions. But brother and sister, we need some of that excitement in this church. Play for me the song that says rise and be healed the lord impressed upon my heart this morning as i begin to prepare and this week as i begin to prepare for this service that someone was going to be restored here that someone was going to be healed here today the reason there was such a power in the church at Corinth and the early church. Listen at me. The reason that there was such a power is because the Apostle Paul did not say you can't speak in tongues. The Apostle Paul did not come out against prophecy. The Apostle Paul did not come out against the manifestation of the Spirit and the power of God like churches do today. He simply gave instructions and said this is the way to conduct yourself in public in public worship. Somebody says, I don't believe in speaking in tongues. Paul did. He says, I speak in tongues more than you all. So evidently he spoke in tongues a lot because there were members at, at Corinth spoke in tongues a lot. You're here today and you need something from God. You're here today you need to be saved. Listen, I've preached the word of God to you. There's a journey you need to take if you've never taken it. There's a decision that you need to make. A decision for Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, I don't know everyone here. If you're here today, and by hearing the word of God, you made a decision for Christ. If you'd like, you can take a friend by the hand and come to the altar. Or you can come just yourself. 